is the Cloud Now Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud and Out podcast. My name is Andreas. And my name is Michael. And we are two brothers. We are focusing 100% on AWS. We do freelancing and also build software as a service products on AWS. And in this podcast, every other week, we discuss a topic related to AWS. One of us prepares the topic and the topic is not known to the other one. So this is how this podcast is working. And Michael, do you remember what we talked about last, uh, the last episode? Uh, yes, I do, Andrea. So um, in the last episode, you talked about um, how we can um, avoid um, S3 data leaks. And you presented uh, four different rules that we should follow. And I'm not 100% sure if I can remember all the rules, but I will try. So the first rule is that we should... Um, use IAM policies to control access if possible and we should never use access control lists and we might use um, the bucket policy and the second rule was that we should make use of the one of the newer features uh, which is called uh, block public access which can be enabled uh, on the account level but also on the bucket level uh, so this is uh, the, the first two rules and then we also had um, more uh, like uh, guidance uh, kind of rules. Uh, the first or the, the third rule was uh, that we shouldn't mix uh, public and private data in the same bucket uh, because then it gets really confusing to configure it. So for example, if you have a website where users can upload their profile pictures, you should separate your static assets like images and JavaScript files and CSS and stuff like this from the user uploads, which, which might not be public. So that was uh, rule number three. And then um, rule number four, um, ah, yes, rule number four was about um, trusted advisor. Uh, so enabling email notifications uh, because trusted advisor uh, checks or performs some checks to uh, f try to help us uh, if we have misconfigured S3 buckets uh, where we expose data to the public. Um, so I think that was more or less the summary of your um, last episode, Andreas. Absolutely. Wow, Michael, I'm, I'm really impressed uh, that you remember all the four rules. That's exactly true. So then I'm very curious. So what is the topic of this week, Michael? Yeah, so I, um, I spent some time in the last uh, days optimizing our uh, cloud.io website. Um, and I also receive questions from time to time um, from people asking how we run cloud.io basically. So I thought it could be a good idea for a blog post and also a podcast episode. So today we are talking about how we run cloudonout.io. Um, so it's not like a uh, fully technical session, um, but we will also talk about uh, the technical parts, the AWS parts, but we will also talk about um, how we come up with a new topic idea and how uh, we make sure that uh, the quality is 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 uh, good of the posts uh, and all kinds of things. So that's kind of my idea for um, the podcast. What do you think? Wow, that sounds really interesting. So before you start, maybe we should mention that for each podcast episode, we also have a blog post. So podcast and blog always go hand in hand together. 
and um so that's uh the idea behind it and yeah i'm very excited uh, to talk with you about how we run cloudonout.io so let's start Okay, great. And that's also um, like what I'm asking you is um, I need your help today. So because I, I'm not the, the only one who knows how it works, uh, you also uh, are part of the process. So um, feel free to um, add your, your own thoughts here. Okay, so let me start with um, how do we find new topics? So this is one of the most, uh, I think, the question that most people ask us. Um, so how can we um come up with a new topic every week for a blog post and i think the answer is is um that we are working with aws um, more or less every day um and a lot uh, in customer projects and our customers ask a lot of questions and we see a lot of different architectures and approaches and we can also like we see common issues so If you see that multiple customers of us are struggling with this problem, then this is this is like the best idea for a blog post. If if people have problems with using a certain feature, for example, of AWS, then um, if you observe this two or three times, then this is a, a very um, good indicator that this could be an interesting blog post. Um, so I think this is uh, one of the kind of sources of, of inspiration for us. And of course, also um, if there's like, interesting announcements from AWS or if we uh, stumble uh, up on something interesting while doing open source work or things like this. So this is all kind of the, the input um, that we use. Yeah, absolutely. So actually we can, we can summarize it like that. We only write about topics that are out of interest for us. So that makes it, I think, hopefully it makes it uh, interesting to read as well because we're not writing for SEO or stuff like that. So we're writing about topics And that we think are important, and um, yeah, that's that's the whole idea, actually. Yeah, so that that's a good point. So this is also kind of a question that sometimes is asked. So how or do we plan the blog post upfront, or how does it work? And so the, I think the only kind of goal that we have is that we publish a blog post every week, um, which we more or less uh, can achieve. Um, so maybe during summertime we are not able to do it, but. Uh, for most of the weeks we we are uh, we are good so far um but we don't really have a like a big queue of blog posts that are ready for publish uh, ready to to be published or also we don't have like a big queue of of topics that we want to write about um so it it turned out every time we try to kind of plan the topics in front or uh, like ahead it it was so it 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 limits the joy writing new blog posts if you if you know what you're going to write about for the next five weeks. So that's why I like to uh, keep this a little bit more um, like open. And if I come up with something, then I just write about it, and there's no 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 much planning. Um, and for example, this blog post um, is uh, written one day before it is published, so it is not there's not a lot of time uh, before. Or in between the, the 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 writing and the actual publication. Talking about writing, so maybe you can explain a little bit. Um, how do we write our blog post? Which tools are we using? How do we use them? And how do we generate the blog at the end? So how does that work? Yes. Um, so we um, we use um, Hexo, which is a um, it was called a static site generator, and and now it's. I was just visiting the website yesterday, so now they call it. A block framework, um, but it's basically a tool that that converts um, a bunch of 
um, files into like text files into um, HTML. And um, so for example, we write our uh, posts in Markdown. So every post is a file and um, the, the format is a Markdown um, file. And Hexo converts all those files into the structure of the block. So every post gets a, a page, like a HTML page. Then we have like uh, a index page where all the posts are listed with a paginator. And we have a few like tag pages, uh, category pages, and a lot of stuff is, is generated by Hexo. And it also supports uh, themes. So you can add your own theme. And so our markdown does not contain any layout. So the layout is added um, by the theme. And the, also what I, I really like about Hexo is that um, you can, it, it is basically uh, making use of, of plugins uh, in a very excessive way. Um, so we have um, plugins for everything and you can also write your own plugins and it's, it's really, really easy to do so. Uh, so we have our own plugins. So for example, um, so for the index page, we have a short summary of the article and we also have an image. And this image is is just extracted by a plugin from the markdown file. So we basically take the first image as the like the, the blog post um, preview image as well. So this is a plugin that we added. And we also have a plugin to support the HTML picture element uh, lately. So um, this is also very nice. And then we have also official plugins like for footnotes for the RSS feed um, to support um, shiny tables. Um, and we also, so if you don't like the plugin, if you want to modify it a little bit, you can also just fork it and use your, your own version of the official plugin, which we also did a lot. Okay. So, so, but to summarize that, so Hexo is, um, it's a, it's a tool that we use to generate a static website. So Cloud on Out basically is a static website. There is no dynamic content there. And all, all Hexo is doing for us is basically generating html files and a static website structure yeah that's correct and uh, the benefits are and we will talk about them uh, i think uh, also today uh, in the in the episode is that it's really easy to host this website so it's um because it's static and you can it's, it's really easy to cache behind a, a content delivery network as well um so yeah that's really um a very um low maintenance and low effort way of hosting a website because if everything is static then you you basically don't have much troubles so there's no database and things like this so maybe you can describe the process of how um, we publish uh, a new blog post so how does the technical aspect of that work so most often it it works like this so i so i have like the the git repository on my uh on my um, on my machine, and then I, I create a new branch. Uh, I start writing, so I create a new Markdown file, basically, and then I, I add the text and the pictures and all this stuff that is needed. And then I push this branch uh, to the remote repository, which is hosted on GitHub. I open a pull request, and then I ask you, Andreas, for a review. Um, and if you are the author, then you uh, very likely ask me for a review. Um, so... This means that we use GitHub pull requests um, to perform the reviews. Um, so this means um, that uh, if, for example, I write the blog post and you, Andreas, find something that is not clear or that you have some uh, way of improvements, then you basically create another pull request um, that uh, is merged into my pull request uh, with your feedback. 
So that's kind of the process. And usually we have one round of uh, review and revise and then we are fine. Um, so that's kind of the, the process. And to make things a little bit more easier, we also upload uh, the PDF version uh, to make reading easier because reading the markdown is is a little bit hard and you sometimes you cannot imagine how it looks like with all the tables and, and stuff. So we, we also add the PDF to the pull request um, to make it easier to read basically. But the, like the editing and the the modifications are all performed in uh, in the markdown file. So and then also we have the possibility to uh, like add comments to to the markdown directly in the GitHub pull request and things like this. So I think that's really, I mean, it's not perfect because it's not, so GitHub is not made for markdown files. Um, but I mean, they can add comments to any text file. Uh, so it's, I think it's good enough. Um, and it, it works and we use it since, I don't know, quite some time. <laughs> Yeah, so there was no change um, to this process for a long time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, a very good summary of how we work on new blog posts. Um, Michael, so what happens next? So after uh, we have reviewed the new blog post and after we have merged the pull request, what happens then? Yeah, so the when the pull request is merged into the master branch, um, we or the continuous deployment pipeline starts and basically it um it installs so a hexo is is node.js based so we install the node.js dependencies in the um in the pipeline then we run hexo generate which is the command to uh, basically uh, uh, produce the html files and the the all the static content uh, images and stuff like this then we copy all those files over to s3 with the aws s3 sync uh, cli command um, and then we invalidate the CloudFront cache. Um, and then we also have some very simple smoke tests. For example, we, we check if the uh, RSS feed is still accessible. Um, so that kind of makes sure that we don't make big mistakes. Um, and we also check the, the index, like the, the homepage, um, if there is a certain keyword in the in the page and things like this. So that's kind of... Uh, what happens in the deployment pipeline so it's really simple deployment pipeline but it's also like as i said the whole approach is very simple and this is also what we like because it, it it's it's it there's less or we don't have much effort in in running it um so the deployment pipeline is hosted uh, on our jenkins infrastructure so we um i think we have the the idea to migrate is to code pipeline since quite some time uh, so we haven't um we haven't done it yet, but maybe <laughs> in the next uh, months. I'm not sure. Uh, so there is not much pain for us uh, doing it uh, because um, the Jenkins also works. Um, but if you if you find some time uh, in the future, then uh, it would make sense to migrate it over to uh, to Code Pipeline. Yeah. So I think that's the deployment process. So it's really uh, um, uh, straightforward. I think. And okay, so that's the deployment pipeline. You already mentioned that the deployment pipeline is basically uploading all that static files to S3. But can you maybe explain then a little bit in more detail how the infrastructure looks like that we use to basically ship the content to our readers? So how do we do that? Which AWS services are we using? Yeah, so um, we are... so. The, the good news is we are using our own open source CloudFormation template to host Cloud.io. So we have a template for a static website and it basically contains um, an S3 bucket 
where you where the files are stored and it also creates the CloudFront distribution. So this is the content delivery network and the content delivery network is configured to fetch um, the files from the S3 bucket. So if the file is not in the content delivery cache, then CloudFront asks S3 or downloads the file from S3. Um, and this is, um, I think, a very common architecture. Um, uh, it's used by many people and it also has work quite well for us so we had some uh, blog posts that were on um, the hacker news front page so this is a i don't know if you know hacker news so it's a website so if you're on the hacker news front page you can expect uh, maybe like 100,000 to 1 million page views for the single um, page on the front page so it, it generates a lot of traffic on your website and with this setup with uh, s3 and CloudFront, um, you don't have to worry about this because it because of the, the content delivery network, um, you are able to serve uh, those uh, 100,000 page views um, or 1 million page views without any issues. So the only thing that changes is basically your uh, your bill. Um, but this is also not a... So I checked uh, yesterday the, the, the CloudFront bill and it's it's not significant money. So it's um, yeah, so not uh, a big deal so if you compare it to other hosting providers or something like this it, it should be uh, a similar expensive and you survive um, big bursts of traffic and also very spiky uh, traffic bursts if something uh, for example sometimes on twitter um, a post is retweeted by by people with with with, with uh, reach and then you get a lot of visits uh, within a few minutes so this is all uh, handled by this setup and the cool thing, as I said, is that this is a open source template from us. So it's um, our CloudFormation template. So you can um, you can check it out. I will add the, the link to the show notes. Um, so if you are interested in running a static website, and I can highly recommend to do this. And one thing that I want to mention here as well is there are a or there are many examples in the internet um, that show you how to do it, but a lot of them miss a very um, uh, critical piece i think and this is the security configuration to make sure that only cloudfront is allowed to access your s3 bucket um, and this is possible um, um, and i uh, recommend to, to check this out so it's um i i cannot remember how this is called at the moment andreas so can do you remember how this feature is called of 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 cloudfront it's origin identity ah yes yeah and so that is how you can, or you can write a bucket policy that only allows your CloudFront distribution to access the content. So you can make sure that downloads only happen through CloudFront. Yeah, perfect. So that was the, the feature that I was, um, that I had in mind. Okay, perfect. So, okay. So when we talk about CloudFront, I have um, interesting uh, things to add here as well. And this is uh, Lambda at Edge. Um, so if you haven't heard about Lambda at Edge, you might assume that it is kind of Lambda because it the name is kind of uh, uh, the same. But it's I'm not quite sure if Lambda at Edge is a good name for it because it's really a little bit different. So what Lambda at Edge is, in my own words, is a way to execute code in CloudFront. Um, but it's not really Lambda because it does not support all the runtimes. It has lots of restrictions. So, for example, in the mo at the moment, you can um, it supports Node.js and Python, um, and you have very strict requirements regarding timeouts. So, depending on the type of request, you have uh, up to five seconds or thirty seconds to respond. And there's no support for environment variables, 
uh, there's no support for Lambda layers, and the list goes on and on and on. So there are a lot of lots of things that are not supported, basically. So it's not really Lambda. Um, it's it's just a way to uh, make your CloudFront a little bit more dynamic. So you can execute code. Um, when a request arrives um, from the client, you can make uh, execute code if uh, the origin is uh, contacted. So if basically the cache was missed, you can uh, execute your code if a response from the uh, origin is received. And then finally, you can execute code before the response is actually sent to the client. So there are four hooks um, or four kind of uh, points in the in the process where you can hook into the into the flow, um, and we use Lambda at Edge for um, basically two or three different things. So the first is we have some legacy um, paths that we have to redirect. So for example, when we started, our RSS feed path was different than it is today. So we have to uh, send a uh, HTTP three hundred and I think two or three hundred and one to make sure that all the old um, paths still work because we just redirect them to the new. Um, then we also have these problems um, because we use um, so in our blog every blog post is a directory. So there is basically an index.html file inside this directory, and this is not supported out of the box by CloudFront. To um, they only support the index.html kind of approach for the root object but not for each directory inside um, the root so we have some lambda edge logic here as well to make uh, sure that this works and then lately i added uh, on the fly image optimization so if you visit our website um, and if the image is not in the cache we will fetch the image from our s3 bucket and then we do image optimization so for example we reduce the quality um, we might resize the image and we also might convert it into uh, WebP or something like this. And this is all done on the fly by CloudFront. Um, so that's uh, kind of interesting. And then we, so the the output is then uh, in the cache. So we, we don't do this for every image. We only do this uh, basically once a week for every image. Um, so this is uh, a good approach for us to make sure that we are able to change this uh, image optimization uh, without the need to reprocess all the images because um, we were running into this issue that it took uh, 20 to 30 minutes for us to optimize all our images, uh, which was a very um, painful because our deployment pipeline was really slow because of that. Uh, so, I mean, we could have improved this and parallelized it on multiple machines, whatever, but this would be a lot of work. So instead, we, we switched to Lambda at Edge and now we do it uh, in massive uh, parallelization if needed. Uh, so if a lot of people are visiting the website uh, from different regions. And then we will just optimize the images in parallel using Lambda and Edge. And the cool thing is that this does not really affect our bill. So I, I just compared the bill with the bill from last month where we do, where we were not using the new on-the-fly image optimization and I, I cannot really see a difference. Um, so even though this is more work, so it, it takes roughly one second for us to optimize an image. Um, but still, it's not really visible on the bill uh, for us. So it's, um, I think, a good approach here uh, because it was, you know, it's really um, uh, more dynamic than what we had before. Okay, so Michael, you're talking a lot about the costs of running Cloud and Out.io on uh, CloudFront F3 and with Lambda at Edge as well. Can you remember the numbers? <laughs> so what do we pay per month? So we have to pay for, um, for I think, three different things. So the first is uh, traffic. Uh, CloudFront traffic. Then we have to pay for requests. 
And then we also have to pay for Lambda at Edge. Um, I mean, we also have to pay for S3, but this is uh, probably not uh, a big deal. So I think we are somewhere in between 5 to $20 per month for running the website. So basically, we pay uh, most money to um, cl uh, CloudFront traffic. Um, so that's the okay. kind of number that I have um, in okay. mind. So not, not really a big deal for uh, a website with that much traffic on it. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think so. And it also is basically zero maintenance. So we don't have to uh, patch anything or uh, something like this. So it still, it just runs and it runs and it runs. So that's a good, uh, a good indicator, I think. And that's also kind of the, the next topic. Um, what happens if it doesn't run? So how do we detect problems with the website? Yeah, interesting. So then tell me, how do we make sure that CloudOnOut.io is up and running? Yeah, so we, we use um, two approaches. So the first is we look from the outside of AWS to see if the website is running. And um, we use a service called Uptime Robot for this, but there are other services like, I think, Pingdom, and I think there are uh, many, many more services like this. And what they do is they, so first, they don't run on AWS themselves. So this is very important. Um, And second, um, they check from multiple locations. So they don't only check from one location. If your website is running, they check from multiple locations um, to make sure that this is not only a problem uh, from one location, but it's really a, a global thing. Um, and if Uptime Robot detects a problem, um, we trigger an alert in Marbot. Um, so Marbot is our Slack-based incident management solution. So basically what happens is that we receive a Slack message And we also receive an email because our own Marbot is hosted on AWS. So if there is a like bigger down uh, or bigger issue on AWS, then we, we receive an email and the email is hosted by Google. So we hope that this will work. Uh, so um, we will um, at least receive the email if, if everything is kind of on fire. Um, the problem is that we cannot really do anything if you receive this email because, I mean, we cannot really patch or uh, make sure that CloudFront is, is running again um, because it's not uh, our responsibility. But still, we, we know about the, the problem. Um, so that's um, the approach number one. So checking from the outside of AWS. And we also check from the inside. Um, so our biggest, I think, problem or the, the biggest source of errors is uh, are the Lambda Edge functions. So if you have a bug in our functions, and we had a bug in the functions, um, I can uh, tell you about this in a few seconds, um, then we can see this in different places. Um, for example, we can see this in CloudWatch uh, metrics. So CloudFront pu publishes a metrics. Um, for example, there is the um, Lambda execution error metric, and this is the Lambda at Edge execution errors. Um, and this is a metric that we observe And if this metric goes uh, up, then we again send a alert to Marbot and then we can investigate by looking at the logs. And this is logs with Lambda Edge is kind of a problem because they are spread over all the regions. So you have to kind of figure out the region and then you have to figure out uh, the log uh, stream. And this is all a little bit complicated, but it's, it's possible. So it's a lot of work, but it's possible. Uh, so um, yeah, that's kind of... The annoying part here, but um, yeah, um, it's um, it works in the end. Okay, so that's um, what we monitor. And then there's also um, there are two other metrics that we observe. Uh, one is um, 500 error codes from CloudFront, and then there's also a metric that 
um, counts if your Lambda function returns something that CloudFront does not understand. So the execution was successful, but the response is not understood by CloudFront, and this is also a metric. And so those are the three metrics that we monitor. And basically, if um, something with Lambda is wrong, then this is very likely a bug in our uh, in our Node.js code. Um, and that, that we can fix. And if there are 500 error codes, it depends. This could be because of uh, some problems with S3. This could also be because of um, uh, other issues with CloudFront itself. So so I'm not quite sure if we really should uh, monitor the 500s because it most of the sources for an error are not really under our control. Um, but uh, So it doesn't trigger often. So I, I don't think this error ever, ever triggered so far. Um, but um, yeah, we have to see if this is a, a good metric to monitor at all, or if you should uh, if you should uh, silence it. Um, yeah. So the the next problem is what happens if he if he receives such an alert? Um, because um, it's it's Andreas and me, so we are two uh, a two a two person team, uh, so we cannot really cover twenty four seven, and this is also not our um, uh, not our goal. So our goal is to respond as as fast as possible uh, during normal uh, business hours. Um, because we have, I mean, as we said, we work on customer projects and all kinds of stuff. So if you are on site, a customer project, we don't have time to fix our cloud or not our all setup. So that's also why we want to have something that is very stable. Um, so this is also what we what we get with CloudFront and S3. Um, yeah, so one thing to, to mention here is that the monitoring part is also um, part of the open source templates but it's not yet in the stable um, release. So this is um, a pull request, um, and I can link the pull request in the show notes. Uh, as soon as the pull request is merged, uh, you can also benefit from the from the monitoring. Um, okay, so uh, that was a lot of information, Andreas. Um, any questions from your side? No, thanks. So very interesting uh, I didn't know <laughs> about these alerts. Um, so um, very interesting that you explained them to me as well. Um, so I think then there's there's one last thing regarding our cloud or not I always set up, and that's the question, how do we do analytics? So how do we know uh, which blog post is popular? How do we know how many readers are reading our blog? How do we do that? Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of your topic, Andreas, because you also wrote a blog post about it and you also set it up um everything for us um so the only thing that i want to mention here is um, before i hand over to you um that we removed google analytics from our website um earlier this year i think in in march or april and um, so there are no cookies anymore on our website um so that's um also the reason why there is no uh annoying pop-up asking you for permissions that we use uh, cookies because there are no cookies uh, which i really like um so the question is how can we still get some data. Um, uh, and I think, Andreas, you are the, the, the person who can explain this better to me than I can explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, perfect. And so, yeah, we removed Google Analytics um, because we don't want to be part of that data collection um, that covers the whole internet. And um, so we switched to something else. And I have to mention that uh, our solution now is not providing as detailed analytics information as we had with Google Analytics before. But it's, it's enough for us, enough for our needs. So we get the information about how many people are reading the blog and which posts are popular. So that's basically all we want to know. And it's probably all uh, you want to know. <laughs> so uh, everything else is probably not very interesting. So what do we do? So 
the setup works like this. So we use CloudFront. You also already mentioned that. And CloudFront is also providing access logs. So we get access logs from CloudFront basically for every request uh, that uh, is coming into CloudOnout.io. And this data is stored on S3. So we use that as our, you could call it a data lake, where we store all the access logs from CloudFront. Then on that data, we run uh, queries with Amazon Athena. So this is a, a, a very interesting service that I like very much that allows us to do ad hoc analytics on structured data. So in this case, um, it's uh, CSV files that we are an analyzing. So analytics uh, queries on the data with Amazon Athena. And then we use QuickSight which is the BI tool from Amazon, which allows us to visualize the data. So we have a dashboard uh, in QuickSight that shows the number um, of page views in the last month and the last week and also the most popular blog posts and so on. So this is where we actually go and see um, yeah, which blog posts are popular and how many readers we had during the last year or something like that. So that's the, the visualization of the data. And that's basically it. So that's all we have. It's CloudFront uh, publishing access logs to a three, Athena, which runs queries on that data, and then QuickSight that visualizes the data. And with that, we don't need any cookies. We don't need to send any data to Google. And we have full control over the whole setup. So Andreas, I think that's... That's it. Um, I think I, I I I try to answer most of the questions that we that we receive. Um, so if you have other questions, um, then feel free to um, contact us. Um, you can find us on on Twitter. We will add um, the the links to the show notes. You can also send us an email to hello at cloudonaut.io. Um, and I think it's um, Andreas. It's time to to uh, hand over to to Polly to to make some announcements. What do you think? Yes, that is that is absolutely true. So thanks for listening. Bye. My name is Polly, and I'm happy to share some announcements with you. This was episode number seven: How we run Cloudonaut.io. You will find a link to the blog post about this episode in the show notes. Please do not forget to subscribe to the Cloud Enough podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let Michael and Andreas know what you think about this episode, rate or review the podcast. Or even better, send them a message. You will find links to their Twitter and LinkedIn profiles in the show notes. Besides, Andreas and Michael recently released their second book and online seminar, Rapid Docker on AWS. As a developer, you want to focus on shipping great experiences to your customers. Therefore, we have designed a fast and easy way to bundle your application into Docker containers and run them on Amazon's worldwide infrastructure in a highly available and scalable manner. You will find a link to Rapid Docker on AWS in the show notes.